What's up, fellow car enthusiasts? Welcome to an episode of Behind the Boost presented by MA Performance. I'm your host, Charlie Main, and today we plan to bring you some of the behind the scenes of the automotive world. In today's episode of the Behind the Boost podcast, I'm joined by Kyle, aka Tiny Kyle, who is one of the techs here in the R&D department here at MA Performance. In this episode, we cover how he got started, some of his personal builds, and what he did before he came and worked at MA Performance. Stay tuned, guys, because this is a good inside look on how you get started at MAP. Jumping between being at home and being at the shop. Today, we're in the garage. It's a little bit quieter in here. I think if I was at the shop right now, all you'd hear is chop saws and not a single word I said, but that's yeah, kind of the, na- that's the nature of the beast. In his dungeon of a room. Today, we've got Kyle, aka Tiny. For those of you who don't know him, he works as part of the R&D department. And then we're obviously joined by the bearded Dalen at Huge. So uh, Who tells me what to do. Yeah. Who also <laughs> happens to be in charge of Tiny. You have the option. You'd suggest that I do these things so I remain employed. Creative suggestioning. Yeah, which is fair. I don't often disagree with you. (laughs) So, guys, we'll be taking questions from everybody throughout this live stream. This is usually Wednesdays at 3 o'clock Central Standard Time till 4. So feel free to jump on in if you are listening to this post the live stream itself so you can interact and ask us some of your questions. Anyways, uh, so Tiny, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of what you did maybe before you started at MAP, just to kind of give us some of that history. And then also maybe just fill us in a little bit better as to, you know, again, what it is that you do exactly for those who don't know. Yeah, right on. So I guess I'll give you uh, as good a background story as I can without rambling too much. It's kind of a thing I do often, start one story and then branch off into six others. Started working on anything, really. Uh, as soon as I could walk, uh, I've spent so many hours in this garage with my dad growing up. Um, we had motorcycles, snowmobiles, a boat, all sorts of things. And it just all interested me from a really young age and spent a lot of time in here working on stuff, taking it apart, putting it back together mostly. When I turned 16, it was time to buy my first car and I had kind of been interested in cars. I thought drifting was really cool at first, which is kind of funny considering uh, where my automotive path has taken me, which couldn't have been further from drifting. But right. uh, I, I wanted a I wanted a 240, but at the time that I got into cars, 240s were expensive, and they still kind of are. In the in the mind of a 16 year old, six grand for a you know 20 year old shell is uh, is a lot of money. And I liked the look of 240 hatches. So then I really wanted a Mark III Supra, and that didn't happen. So then I ended up with this, which is my uh, 95 Civic hatchback that I've had since I was 16, and the reason it's kind of relevant to all this is it's what basically sparked me into, you know, who I am now. It has a lot to do with my upbringing. So I, I bought this car from a buddy of mine, a good friend of mine, Jake. It was relatively stock, had wheels, lowering springs on it. At the time, I uh, had I was working my first job. I worked at a liquor store as a uh, bottle cleaner, and okay. I, needed another, I needed another job to support cars, and I wanted right. to do lots of things. I had lots of ideas, so I started busting dishes. And I hated that with a passion. I think it's really gross. Funny enough, the guy who sold me the car, Jake, was the one who got me at the, the job at the place. Three months after I started there, he uh, he left and went to a dealership. And two months later, I followed him there. And, uh, you know, that was in high school for 
you know, three or four years while I was in high school, just working at a dealer uh, at the local Mitsubishi dealer, changing oil and getting my hands in whatever corner I could, you know, my, uh, drive to learn more and get a better understanding of things was fresh and just trying to watch anyone or anything that I could to really you know, learn as much as I could. And there was a, I don't know, I don't know how you would call it. It's like a intermediary class that branches a, a tech school between a, uh, a high school and it's called 916. It's a local program here in Minnesota. And then that got me more involved with being hands-on and, and learning different things. So yeah. As all that time went on, I was wrenching on that, learning as much as I could. First thing I did, like major accomplishment, I guess, was swap the cylinder head to a a VTEC style cylinder head. Then did my first turbo kit, made like 250 wheel horsepower. And that was all in the span of high school, just kind of basic bolt-on stuff, getting getting my feet wet, kind of just getting a better understanding. This platform was so good for me to learn on because the information was there. Right. And it was close enough to me that it was easy to find and I didn't have to do a lot of digging, but you had to do enough digging to understand and know what you were looking for. So it just, it just kind of kept snowballing. I, I would do one thing and you know, it wouldn't be enough and I would move on to the next thing. So first it was a cylinder head swap and then it was the turbo kit and then it was a built engine with a different turbo kit. And now it's where it is now, which is pretty rowdy. Um, yeah, I went to tech school after high school. Kept the car, kept going, owned a couple other cars. I had a CRX. That was my daily driver for two years. I love that car. Anybody that knows me knows I miss it very deeply, <laughs> like almost obsessively. It's kind of gross. You know, that's it's it's a pretty, you know, simple story of how I got to where I am, meeting people along the way, going to as many car events as I could and meeting enough people. I kinda had an understanding and an idea of like who I wanted to be in, in the community and as a person and who I needed to kind of get along with and, and meet along the way to get there. Met some people, kind of showed me that if you work hard enough, you can be a voice and be someone that people turn to for advice. And that's who I wanted to be. I wanted to be that kid that had a whole stack of parts in right. his closet. And if somebody had a question, they came to you. That's kind of who I ended up being for the most part. Yeah, and you were, I mean, you were actually like local to us here, like growing up, right? Like you were yeah, So that's road, a, like- that's another interesting segue I wanted to get to. Um, when I was 16 and first getting into cars, I didn't really know of any other shop, of any shops really. Right. I knew what a dealership, I knew what a dealership was. I knew what a Jiffy Lube was, but performance was never, wasn't like at the forefront to me growing up. My, my dad, who was a big influence to me and really shaped me to who I am even was literally my teacher in tech school. He was more into, into motorcycles than he was cars. So the the car aspect of things kind of came naturally in the sense of there was no outside push at all became because I wanted it to be a thing. When I was younger and I had a small friend group locally, we'd all meet up on like Tuesday nights. We had like a small car club of probably 10 of us that were all just local high school kids. Yeah, And we'd meet up on like a Tuesday at the Cub parking lot in Cottage Grove and we'd go cruise. And one of my friends, Jacob, he was like, hey, you know, there's this shop down the street. Uh, we should go check it out and look at the cars in the back, which don't do that. First of all, that was not something that I should have done uh, or anyone should do. It's not a good idea to go poking your head around in the back of these places, um, which I learned because the cops did show up when we did that. We went there and they showed up almost immediately. Um, but it was just cool to, to go and realize that something so close to home existed. Right. Um, and it, it, that, it really piqued my interest. And I said, well, this is the, this is a place I want to be. This is, you know, end goal. This is what I want to do. I loved cars. I love fixing things. I mean, that's 
kind of the drive. I gave a small speech when I was in tech school about um, what it means to be a technician. And I think at the end of the day, what it means to work on cars as a you know profession is to help people. It's a, kind of the uh, underlying goal and mission is you're always trying to help people. You're trying to make something better for them. And to see a different side of that and to see, you know, I want to make people, I want to make it more than just as good as it was. I want to make it better. I want to make it faster. I want to make it handle better. And seeing that there was something obtainable that I could get to that was so close to home was such a cool feeling. So right away, I was already in the back of my head, you know, how do I get to the top? How do I get here? What path do I have to take? And a lot of people will tell you, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I think it's a pretty good, pretty healthy combination of both right. to get you where you want to be. So yeah, I found out about this place and kind of knew who was involved here, knew who worked here. I watched a lot of the really early YouTube videos. My best, fondest memories of watching videos in the shop are the ones of Andrew's S10. They did like a showcase video. Well, the S10 and the uh, hard body. And like, I probably watched that video so many times. And I saw that look, like that was the coolest thing is I I watched that video and I saw that car and I was like, man, that's sick. And I was driving to Taco Bell being you know 17 and I see it come flying past me as Andrew's on lunch or something like that. And to me, that was so cool. Yeah. So it, it, it was just a constant drive of you know, what was around me and what was obtainable and how, how do I get there? Who do I meet? Who do I talk to? You know, what do I do? And, and that's really it is just being a staple and, and being able to find the people around you that, well, one, are good people and, you know, good friends. Everyone that works at the shop is are good people. We're, and we're all friends. I mean, everybody kind of hangs out as if it's a kind of a big family almost. It's, it's a good connection. And it, it's part of how I got there is just spending time after hours with people who already worked there and, you know, becoming their friend. And when that started happening, there wasn't really a position for me. And Dalen got hired and I think they kind of were looking for this new area. I would say I'd say R and D is as a standalone in our company is relatively fresh. Would you say that Dalen? It's kind of a, yeah, I mean, you originally got hired on more of like uh, kind of like a business development role, like yeah. looking at like lots of stuff that we could make better. And we needed somebody that worked on the cars full time. I mean, for anybody that knows the history of the shop, knows that um, for many, many years, we were a service shop. You know, we had, I think at one point, we had four or five full time technicians. Um, and, you know, so we always had access to that. So when we built parts, we had a, a you know, a built in group of people that did all the, the testing and the fitting and, uh, or kind of the, the voice of the customer on the install side. But when we moved away from that, we kind of lost that. So it was kind of like a, a secondary thing. It was, you know, who in the shop was able to do it and people would kind of flex into that role. But as we kind of progressed and pushed more and more, we did somebody who day in and day out, that's all that they did. Um, so that's kind of, it, it's flexed more from like a business development side into now more of an R&D side. We're going to get more in depth on that side. But yeah, it just kind of like, we created a, a need for a role and needed somebody to fill it. Yeah. It just kind of, it worked out perfectly. I think I was out of school for less than a year when the like position popped up and somebody sent it to me and I sent in a resume and I think Dalen and I played phone tag probably like three or four times. Anybody who knows me knows that I don't answer the phone. Uh, <laughs> not, in, not in like a, a malice way, but just like a, I'm very unconfrontational and I'd rather send you four emails and three texts than have a one minute phone conversation. It's, it's a terrible day of my life. So we're going to talk about working (laughs) remotely. Kyle spent a lot of time at shop and I spent all of my time at home. 
we have like six different ways to get a hold of each other, and I use almost every single one of them to like accomplish one task. Like I will Slack him, text message him, email him, and then if I don't get a response, I'll call him and say, "Hey, look at all this stuff I just sent you." It's, it works uh, out. I think it's most fun when when you're like, uh, "Hey, Kyle, we need we need this information from so and so part manufacturer. Can you get this?" I'll, yeah, I got it, and I'll send them email. Yeah, they're not really getting back to me. Well, have you tried calling them? No, no, I haven't. I oh haven't. yeah, it's the quintessential, Charlie. I'm sure you've seen that meme like out there about like people trying to get a hold of them. Have you called them? No. Well, why don't you yeah. call? Them? I don't want to call. And I'm like, we just need some basic one minute information that a phone call yeah. will provide. And we're one well, week into I'm it. Like the exact opposite, where like I would rather call somebody and just accomplish this conversation like that than have to constantly monitor my phone for the next 20 minutes trying to like watch for texts or something yeah. to come through. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there just, there just wasn't need. And I threw in an application to get back to what we were talking about. And yeah, it just was kind of like a perfect storm of this. It all happened at the, at the right time. And basically their, my abilities and their needs kind of fit perfectly. A big niche in our company is Subarus and Mitsubishis. I worked at a Mitsu dealer for three and a half years and Subaru a year and a half, which doesn't sound like a lot of time, but considering I'm 22. I'm one of the youngest team members in the shop. It's a decent chunk of experience and exposure. You know, like I said, I've always had that drive to understand the why and the how, which is, I think, crucial for for understanding cars and how everything works and why I like being in R&D. Always getting your feet wet in something new. It's almost better to to not know initially. You right. kind of giving a giving a, a blank slate. I came from, you know, doing. OEM work so there wasn't a lot of modifying from the norm and and this it's all it's all fresh it's all new concepts new ideas like tuning EFI tuning has become something that's pretty you know big and important to me I, I'm learning so much from it and it's it's cool to me because it's totally fresh new concepts it's like going to school all over again but on my own which kind of yeah. is how tech school is anyways I mean you you go to class but a, almost all of it is what you put in not what you get out it's the work you put in is directly affected by what you get out. And that's how R&D is kind of affecting this. They're kind of giving me more ability to, to learn while also in, you know, improving what we can do as a company standpoint, which is really cool. And it's part of why I love my job, always being able to learn and understand better. There are days I that I get frustrated, but that's everything. I was saying, I think it's really interesting because like, when, you know, from my side, when we hired on Kyle, like, us as a company, we have a pretty big history of like hiring younger, younger people. You know, when I was first hired here, I was a younger kind of green to the industry. Like it's just kind of been the way that we've done it because of we as a younger company, younger people fit what we were doing. We were able to kind of like, I say we, but I was part of that same thing, kind of mold into what we wanted things to look like. Uh, and Kyle now is like, a, you know, he, he talks so confidently and he has so much like kind of uh, like he makes it sound like he's an old hat, but like, when we first hired him, like the idea of things that were not an easy swap or like dealership type work, like he had to work. Scared. For that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, he would get frustrated really fast. He would have to try to figure it out. And it's funny because like he talks about this so natural now. But like, I mean, there were months of times where he was just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to figure this out. Like, how do I what do I do with my hands? And it's funny because like it's just yeah, it, I mean, it literally was this, it, you know, he you know, we knew that hiring a younger person that so much of what our industry is, is, is experience. And so much of it is like, you just know, because you know, because you've been there and you've done it. 
but hiring a younger person, it, you have to kind of battle through that where like, they're not going to have that seat time. You know, although he has been working on cars, he knows what he's talking about. There's still so many things that just, they're not an initial natural instinct. And that's a, that's a big barrier. And like, when you talk about like younger people looking for these jobs, like you have to be willing to not know stuff. Yeah. You, you have, have to, to be willing to kind of like accept that you're not probably going to be the smartest person in the room. Yeah. Um, the situation humbly you right yeah you know? and, and that's always the the way i've kind of looked at it is always you know even from the beginning kind of like what i said being around the right people always being around people that you you know have you know more knowledge than you or have you not something to gain in a, in a like in a bad way but you being around certain people and certain things will benefit you in the long run you can learn so much just by exposure Right. And I actually, I was talking to a, to a friend of mine who actually just joined the live stream, uh, Aaron. He's a Toyota tech, master tech, same, same age as me, kind of talked about, it's funny how the progression happens at almost like a two times rate. I feel like I know so much more when I started at MAP than when I, than I than now that, like, I know so much more now than I did then. And then if I looked back when I started at Subaru to when I left, how much more I learned it, it it's not a, you know, a linear slope. It's a, a, a jump almost in time. You, the more and more you're around, the more and more you learn, the more quickly you learn. Yeah, I mean, with, I any, think... with anything, no one's naturally, well, I mean, some people are naturally good at things, but you have to be willing to put in the work to learn this stuff. And that's, that's really key. Cause I, I don't think I've met anyone who couldn't work on something unless they like physically couldn't, you, you can learn. Anyone can learn this stuff. And it's, yeah. it's just being able to put in the work and and want it, really. I'm pretty self-driven on things that I'm motivated in. Dalen knows well that things I'm not so motivated in, it's a little bit more of a drag. But if I have a want to learn something, it's really easy to get the, the gears moving. Um, with this car, and it's showing me that especially, there's a lot of things I didn't know. And I, I just kind of figured it out along the way. And that's a, a it was a good stepping stone because it gave me something to learn off of. Cars are different, but concepts are are generally the same so you can apply things pretty broadly and, we, and during our r&d meetings often we'll talk about an issue we have and then say you know i've seen this issue in another branch of cars and that'll kind of segue a conversation so it's not always that you know you know something specifically about a, a specific car it's that you have an understanding of really just of how things work and that's what I was going to say before is when you were talking about your, you know, the level of knowledge that you gained through being at MAP versus had you just continued being a tech at, you know, like a dealership. Whereas I, I think that, and again, not to, I don't want to make it sound like I'm talking down on either of those industries yeah. by any means. When you're a tech at a shop that does very specific jobs, you know, routinely, right? Especially like at a dealership it's easy to learn by memorization right. as opposed to learning by actual understanding, right? There's like a difference between applied knowledge and memorization. Not to say again, that there aren't people right. who That's a things that are text, but you're forced to learn the inner workings of things when you do what you do here at map. Whereas anybody can memorize how to, you know, change the oil on a Subaru Forester. Right. Without burning your hands. That's key. Exposed. Which I think is a myth, right? I think anyone who's ever complained about changing oil on a Subaru that has uh, the what's I can never remember. I owned a Subaru, but I don't even really like Subarus to be honest. <laughs> the the oil filters that are on the bottom. How can you say that. 
<laughs> I don't know. I just think I don't know. I I like them. I okay. I'll say the Shop STI and the Stage Three configuration is the best daily driver I think you can have for the money. It's the perfect combination of fun and drivable. Uh, other than the speakers are subpar. Look but I, they don't. Can't they don't things that people can't get yet. Um, creating. I just want to throw out there that this is the most I've ever heard Tiny talk. He's worked for me for like almost two years now, and I've never heard him talk this much ever. You just like never literally, I've been in meetings with him. Doesn't <laughs> talk this much. So like, you're kind of playing your cards really quick here. So I just want to let you know that, that I'm expecting more talking. <laughs> That's fine. You're like not even letting Charlie get a word in edgewise here. That's interesting. Okay. I, honestly, so like, again, to that point, you know, like I haven't like, because we're usually busy, it's not like me and Kyle have had a ton of time to like actually get to know each other. So like I'm learning a lot about tiny now that even I never knew yet. So it's again, I'd like to think there's a lot of layers to me. I'd like to think that that's just like the layer, like a banana. Um, like an onion. Maybe an onion. No, no, there's definitely, not, there's definitely not that many. I think the other interesting one, no one's asked why he's called Tiny. For some reason, people think there's like this air of mystery around why he's called that, but like it's it's pretty simple. We like to hire people with the same name, and that gets confusing, especially when they're when they're in like roughly the same departments. So we have Kyle Nelson, who's like one of the co-founders of the company, has been here forever, built like a, I don't think I can cuss, but built like a brick beep house. So I'd yell Kyle, and both of these dudes look at me, and I'm like. Damn it! Like, I gotta figure something out. And I, one day they were just like standing next to each other, and I was like, "We got it. Figured this one out. This one is not built like a brick. I'm yeah. like a lank noodle house, like those and like those big blow up yeah, things that move their hands. Are, yeah. <laughs> the ones that like, yeah, yeah, that's all oh, wild, wacky, wacky inflatable mans. Yeah, those things. For everybody who's yeah. listening, we just did the balloon arm meme. Yeah, it's, so. it's quite the meme. Yeah. And everyone always wants to think that it like bothers me that I'm that they that they call me. T I really it really doesn't like in the slide because I understand it. I think maybe from an outside it would be like, why would you call him Tiny? Kyle? That might be so offensive. But it, oh yeah, at first our HR team definitely looked at me funny when I was like Tiny and like yelling across the shop, and they're like, I don't think we can do that. Like that's not. Yeah, I was <laughs> I'm pretty. I think <laughs> from the from the get go, like get the the interview when I was getting hired, they're like, you have to be pretty, uh, you know, willing to take anything we throw at you here and i'm like yeah i'm pretty easy going i think you'll you'll be just fine and i think there's quite a bit of uh fun to be had going back and forth throughout the day between dale and nate whoever other the other kyle we we definitely have fun at work when it comes to you know being being co-workers so having a being good you know being happy healthy having a good mindset about everything is is good and like, I think I, I have an interesting you. question that like if if one of the things we're kind of talking about here is like what it's like to kind of get uh quote unquote your dream job and like what it's like to work in this industry like that seems like kind of the theme that we're talking about here I want to touch on something that like Charlie me and you've talked about a little bit and I know me and, and Kyle have talked about a bit how did you deal with when it kind of didn't become a dream job for a little bit like when the the euphoria and excitement of what this was kind of wore off a little bit and you, you realized it was it was still just a job like there were still days yeah. that were good, still days that were bad like that's something that i think most people don't always think about how much that like really can have an impact on you and that can kind of make or break what you do because like yeah this is a dream job and it's fun and we all love what we do but that doesn't mean that it doesn't have its days it doesn't so, mean that there aren't times where you kind of are like 
is this what I want to do? Like, what, what am I like? And it kind of knocks you down a little bit. And, you know, obviously being the person who's worked with you every day, like, I know you went through that. Like, how did you, how did you press on through that? How did you feel when you're feeling like, you know, did it ruin the hobby for you for a little bit? Like, you know, how did you take that? And like, what would be your recommendations for other people that are maybe just starting out or are going through that same feeling? So I have, you know, some pretty good things to touch on this subject. I'm glad actually you asked it. So to touch on the end of your uh, kind of uh, question there, what, you know, what happened and how did I deal with exactly what you said, you know, having the bad days that that does happen. I think that happens in any job ever. I don't think you'll ever work somewhere where you're going to have the best days ever all the time. I think your attitude outside of work definitely affects your attitude in work and can even heighten that. And for a while there, I just didn't, I was pretty demotivated with cars in general. Nothing was really sparking my interest. And it's kind of funny. That's right around the time I started getting interested with tuning stuff. And I think, you know, for a fact, as soon as I started working on my car, I installed a new ECU in my car and started fidgeting around with that. It, it all kind of sparked and it all, it all came back to me. It's really easy, especially in this industry to get burned out. I think a lot of people experience it and they just learn that lack of motivation. And I definitely outside of work and in work was kind of getting too emotionally attached. I guess you could say it was kind of frustrated with what I was doing some days at work. You know, we, we were hanging whiteboards and stuff like that. Not the most interesting, intriguing work stuff. You know, think things had just kind of been, I, don't know, I, I guess I was just too emotional and letting things get too ahead of themselves and outside of work, you know, maybe pushing myself too much, doing too much, you know, side work, helping, helping too much almost to the point where I was burning myself out and nothing sounded fun anymore. And I think it's good to take a little bit of a mental break and, and realize, you know, you do this because it's fun and because it's enjoyable. And because every time you get in that car and you drive it out of the garage, you puts a smile on your face. And that's kind of what you have to come back to. And it took me a while and you for sure noticed it. And we had a couple talks about it. You know, there was some times where I just kind of looked not like myself, everybody that knows me, I'm kind of a happy going, cheery, always goofing around, always goofing off, always got a smile on my face, cracking jokes. I know when we were doing our video the other day, that was, uh, you know, we had some good conversations about, you know, subways for Subies. You know, that's a call forward. Yeah, right. So, uh, so you know, I think a, a lot of people, especially young people, will, will experience what I experienced and just really getting burned out. And to answer your question, the beginning of the question, which is how do you, you know, deal with going to your dream job, quote unquote, and handling the bad days, uh, a saying that I kind of came up with and maybe other people have said in the past and I just subconsciously think I came up with it is the worst day at your best job will always be better than the best day at your worst job. If, if yeah. you can kind of follow that. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So I mean, th th and that's kind of just the, the philosophy that I, I have tried to live by is, you know, even when I think I'm at my worst and having a, a, not that great of a day or for, for whatever reason, whether it's my fault or, you know, something stuck or some bolt broke and I'm just having a heck of a time trying to get it out. It's right. always kind of calling back to, I could be at the cafe that I worked at washing dishes and I'd be a lot more miserable. And I did that every single day versus right. I have this one day where I'm getting pretty frustrated because something's not going my way. And it's looking at that, that side of things and understanding that, you know, you'll get through this and it'll pass. And 
the next day might be better. And that's kind of the thing you have to look forward to is that there is a much more of an opportunity to have a good time here than there is a bad time. It's like people look at really cool situations and don't see some of the bad things that come along with it. Right. Um, and I think that's, you know, again, it's obviously like you said, there's going to be good things that you get to do that are really sweet, but then there's going to be maybe a string of days that you're like, geez, this really sucks. Like I wish we could just fast forward through this week and get it over with. Um, but again, then like there's some days where like you look at your job and it's just like, damn, I I do have a pretty sweet job, I guess. Right. Exactly. Um, And and it's pretty, pretty unique one too. It's when people ask me what I do, it's kind of a, a hard question to answer because it's a lot. I mean, anything from the instructions, the instructions that people read when they, you know, install our parts. A lot of those were done by me. Right. Um, from the videos to the so R&D side of things about the instructions, you know where to direct. Yeah. So like, there's just, there's so, there's so much in, in this job to do. And so it, it's, it really is like an interesting thing to do and to be able to say that I do, you know, I, I keep good contact with people that I've worked with and especially school. Um, we have a, I have a really good relationship with the college I went to and trying to get them involved with, the aftermarket side of things. Cause I think it's really interesting. And I think honestly, the more that you learn about the inner workings of an engine and a car as a whole, it gives you a better understanding. Totally. Like my being able to understand how to make power comes from understanding how to, how an engine works, how it runs, getting that basic level will bring you to that top notch level and it will help you throughout everything. It'll help you from a diagnostic standpoint in an OEM level and it'll help you to make power in an aftermarket level. It's just all about understanding and asking the why, the asking the how. That's the, the biggest key to, to anything cars, really. Getting philosophical over here. Um, you know, I, 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 I do that. I think one of the interesting, interesting things that we could even talk about, too, is that, like, you, you touched on, like, how much you've learned since you got here, but it's a, it was an interesting, like, thing to watch that, you know, you came in kind of, not cocky, but you came in confident that, like, you knew what you were doing, like, you've been working on cars, like, you, you, you knew it. You knew what you were going to be doing. And, like, I think you very quickly realized that, like, the my head. Had versus, like, a lot of people that you were surrounded with here, like, very quickly you went from being, like, yeah, to, like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. oh, God, what, what like, I don't really know. Like, it's not that you were stupid. It was that you just, like, the level of the knowledge from just doing stuff for so long that what other people could kind of rattle off, you were, you would get lost. Like, was that was that a motivator for you? Was that something that did you get frustrated with that? Like, how, no, how did you? A hundred percent. It was a it was a motivator. It was a you know trying to figure out the what more can I learn. Um, it's it's so important to understand that you're always going to have room for growth, and I think everybody here probably learns something new almost every day. You know, whether it's to how to, you know, with the welders, if it's a a different technique or a different way to hold your hand when you're holding the torch or something like that, or to, you know, R&D on the car, on the tuning side of things, learning different techniques, different things like that. Everybody's learning something new every day. And the people that you're surrounded with that have that have already learned the things that you need to learn will help you get to be where you need to be. Um, I think it's important to understand that being told something and doing something are very different and will give you a very different understanding 
of things. So when I started here, I had a pretty good understanding of a lot of things and just a lot, like a decent amount of seat time doing things. Um, but a lot of stuff I hadn't done. And that that's what had given me a lot of anxiety about cars and working on them is the, the lack of experience, just doing things. One of the first tasks that I think I had when I started here was uh, putting an engine in our Mustang, our shop Mustang. It had been blown up for like a year, I think. And they're like, yeah, just, we got this junkyard motor, throw it back in and get it running. And I looked at it and I was like, dang, like I have not R and R'd a lot of engines. Like it's just not, it's not a, str- it was, it, I was nervous. Yeah. And now looking at it like a year and some change later, it's like pulling an engine out is, it's like, okay, whatever. You know, the right. Civic, I've probably done it on, I probably ch- taken the motor in and out of the Civic for various reasons, whether it's blown, being blown up or test fitting parts or whatever, probably 10 times. I don't know, maybe more. What do you think, Dylan? Probably around 10? Something like that? It's been a lot. I don't know if it's 10. I think it's... Well, we did it, like, what, three or four times on the ground? Three times? Without a lift. Yeah, so he... And I mean, like, he's kind of missing some of the story here. Like, one of the first things when we started racing that car was that we kind of just expected it to blow up right away. So... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there, there is more, that, more to that story. Yeah, like, we, we... I mean, we just... You know, we had, like... I think it was at that point, like, 500, 550 horsepower on the stock motor, and we wanted to go drag racing, and... Uh, I think every time the car started up, whether it was on the dyno or like one of the racetrack, we were like, well, today's day, it's going to blow up. Because of that, we had a built motor that had been sit- like, we had got it prepped, ready to go. And we debated, you know, should we just put it in and then go racing or should we race it as is? And we decided we wanted to race it as is. But with that came that like, we were doing a lot of like track rentals because we wanted to get as much seat time as possible. Contrary to popular belief, like track rentals, we pay for Like we don't, you know, it doesn't get donated to us. We pay for it and it's expensive. And we wanted to make sure that no matter what we did, we got our time out of it. So right. we decided that we wanted to be prepared to swap a motor at the racetrack. I'm lucky to have had some great people that I worked for back at MA Motorsports. One of the things that they taught me on like a lot of the race program stuff is that like you don't get a lift at the racetrack. You don't get a lot of stuff at the racetrack. Like you have to work on a car in a very specific way. So we developed some tools. Uh, Max, one of our indie fabricators, uh, helped us make some like hoists and stuff that made it easier. We literally like cordoned off an area and made tiny, uh, take the engine out on four jack stands with a small tool cart of tools and like whatever he thought he would have to bring. And we made a process of like how you unhook stuff, what tools you have to bring and like how much time, like how fast you can get it down to. And yeah, I think we did it four or five times and then we never, it never blew up at the racetrack. Well, (laughs) kind of. Well, it never blew up in a time frame that we could fix it at the racetrack. You're right. It was uh, never it was never applicable, but that doesn't. But it did pay off because when it finally blew up on the dyno within 24 hours, because it blew up at like a four o'clock on a Wednesday, I think. It might have been and, like three thirty. Yeah, and we had that car back up and running by like 10 a.m. the next morning without working any overtime. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's and it's just that much more like confidence in you know knowing what you're doing. It's easier. It's easier to dive into something if you you have less hesitation to start right. doing something if you're if you're com- and if you're confident with what you're doing. And that's like I said, that's kind of been been huge to me. I came here with a lot of confidence in in some areas, but some other areas I was like, hey, I know how to do this. I've just never done it, or I don't have a lot of experience doing it. And I'd like for that to happen. And and I think that's kind of where Dalen touches on the point of you know. I kind of looked with a, you know, my jaw almost hit the floor sometimes with some of these things that I got asked to do. Like we took the, uh, took the, the whole 
transmission out of the uh, GTR out of the shop or Chris's GTR. I don't know how how do you want to refer to it. Um, doing some work on that and like that was a pretty pretty big undertaking. But at the end of it, I was like, dang, like this is this is pretty easy. This wasn't so scary. Tiny's definitely the type of person that like he wants to know exactly how to do something before he ever starts it, which is like a good yeah. and a bad thing. So yeah. like if he doesn't think about it, he definitely gets like scared. He gets apprehensive and he kind of like tries to find like, well, why are we doing it? Maybe we, maybe we don't need to do it. And like, he'll definitely until like, he'll kind of get that confidence point where he's like, okay. And he'll do it once and he's happier. And then by the second time, he's, time, he's like, absolutely. Let's do it. But it's always funny because like, there's this very predictable road where I'm like, walk up like, Hey, tiny, this is what we're doing today. Also, this is something that's going to happen. And I kind of have to like gently say like, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to do it. And, kind of see how he reacts but yeah it definitely like it's a, it's a predictable like time frame every single time where it's like what are, what <laughs> yeah. we're gonna do that? we're gonna do what to what yeah yeah the where and the how and then we'll get through that we'll get over that hump and then he'll you know starts working on it, he gets you know puts his little headphones in he gets he gets uh he gets pumped but yeah it's a it, i think for somebody who you know background dealership tech like you kind of know what to expect almost every time like you don't you know no, yeah. no two days are really the same here no matter what uh no matter, honestly, whether you're in sales, shipping, doesn't matter. At, at this shop, no two days will almost ever be the same. And that was kind of the experience that I was looking for coming here was, you know, the I, me especially, and I know this about myself, the only way that I'm going to learn something and be confident in it is just doing it. And definitely like Dalen had said, I have some apprehension sometimes when uh, I'm a little bit nervous or I feel like I'm unprepared. But at the same time, that it's good to hit things from a clean slate sometimes. It gives you more of a more of an experience that's um, it's really easy to ask for someone's guidance or help and then do something and then not actually understand what you just did is the way I kind of see it so if you can tackle things on your own on your own like in your own way it's going to give you a much deeper more like a, a better understanding essentially you know a project that I kind of ran into this was I really hated my pillar gauges on my my civic so i decided to throw those out they're actually sitting over there um so i went with uh, aem cd5 dash can check it out at the maperformance.com store yeah uh, great product just had to plug it real quick um i love it when pairing that with a honda at a ecu it's not completely set in stone of how everything's done i mean like it's set in stone of like they tell you where to pin things to but there's a little bit of a gray area when it comes to setup where you can kind of look online and somebody will say something and it'll kind of help you. And it, it just took me a lot of sitting down and thinking and going at, at the end of it, I was like, I got to work and I was like, okay, I know completely what I did because I didn't spend a lot of time trying to ask other people how they did it. I just kind of figured it out on my own. There was some setup configuration stuff on the actual display side of things that I needed to figure out. And there was some wiring things that, I needed to figure out I haven't done a lot with with CAN, which is a networking protocol that car, a lot of cars use, and AM uses it in a lot of their stuff, actually. It's pretty neat and interesting. But it was, wiring it, understanding it, like how it was used was one thing, but then actually how to build my own harness and understanding you know, what's a terminating resistor and why do I need to wrap this one inch per length of wire and stuff like that. Like Knowing that was... All the information was there, but I just kind of had to learn how to apply it. So coming out of it, if someone else asked me, hey, how did you wire your AM dash? I could go, hey, 
I can tell you everything that I know very easily because I know exactly how I did it. I didn't have somebody at the shop come over and like help me. I did half the work. He did the other half. It was a one man effort. And I think that's really important for people to get when they're working on their own cars is it's good. Like friends are huge when it comes to cars. I, right. you know, all my friends that I have, we all wrench together. We all have a, a good time. Like probably two or three days out of the week, I'm at somebody's house fixing something with somebody else, but you will always learn more doing it on your own. And that's kind of like a, you know, a catch 22. What do you, what do you want to do? Do you want to have a good time or do you want to learn? And you know. I had a question. So for me, you know, like, uh, again, I think one thing that's different is now learning again, all the different knowledge that people have at the shop. Um, it constantly amazes me. Um, but it's not like people just start out there, right? Like you don't just, right. oftentimes I feel like people, start out with some room to grow and then ultimately become this person who again has the wealth of knowledge and like on the one we did with leo he could literally rattle off part numbers for parts that he you know regularly references and whatnot and it's just amazing um but i think one thing because your position specifically again you mentioned before that odds are if somebody's installing a part that we make in-house the parts were were that installation instruction was written by you right um what would you say i mean because a lot of people there they want to only take a car you know with to basic bolt-ons right like maybe someone right. will feel comfortable doing a cat back and an intake or something so i'm getting a call here but no and so but so you with you coming up with it you know a lot of people wanting to only do these basic bolt-ons and things like that well i mean would you encourage them to take on those additional projects where again it may seem like some of that has the gray area or you know, again, what would you recommend to people who want to take on more because they're eager to learn? They just haven't been given an opportunity where they can just get hands on and right. learn and mess up basically or, or whatever. It's Maybe it's their daily. Maybe they can't afford for it to necessarily be broken. Right. So, yeah, and that, that's that's a, it's a hard question to answer because it's like right. the logical step is buy a project car, which is the worst advice anyone can give you because you're going to sink all of your money into it. Yeah, financial financially is the worst decision you will make leo knows I, that think any, I think everyone that is here right now or been on the show knows that financially there is not a lot of gain to be had other than knowledge if you can count knowledge as a uh, financial gain they only, that's the only thing you're going to get out of owning a project car because you always lose money on it and you're always going to throw money into it but what what i started doing because this car was my daily driver for until I graduated high school, actually, other than in the winter, I had a car to drive in the winter, but in the summer, this is the car I drove every day. Right. And I kind of refused to drive anything else if I didn't have to. So it was important to me that if, that I finished it as soon as possible, especially if I had to get to school, you know, I, I needed the right. car to get to school, planning things out over like, if, so if you're going to do something that is more than a basic bolt on, you're not just throwing an intake on or throwing, I mean, even injectors is a pretty, for most cars, a pretty slim job or an exhaust or a downpipe. Hello, puppy. Uh, it, it's, you know, when you have something that's more than a, a day's worth of work, like a weekend job, I guess, as I classify it, uh, it's important to, to know exactly the route you're going to take. And also think about the things that you wouldn't necessarily think about. And that's kind of a hindsight. It's always 2020, but right. when, it, when, whenever possible, prepare for the worst, prepare for something to break, have spares, um, just so that you can always get yourself 
you know, you always have a backup plan, a plan B. If something doesn't go right, that how can you make a bad situation good again? So when you're taking on those bigger projects, which I think everyone should, I think anyone that's into cars, you're always going to have a good experience, a, uh, you know, See, a positive I outcome. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm 50, 50 on that. Like I always tell people that when you're first getting into it, don't do nothing but the smaller projects for a while. Right. Cause it's super easy to get burnt out on the bigger stuff when things right. are going no, wrong. Like, or when you talk about like buying a project car, like buying a car that doesn't work is like the demise yeah. of, I would say like at least half of car people, because like, right. You get in this thing, you have like kind of this delusions of grandeur, like, it, oh, yeah, I know exactly what I'm going to do. And it gets too expensive, too time consuming, too confusing. And people just kind of give up because like the more complex and expensive it's going to be, the less likely you are to finish it in most cases. So like if you buy a running driving car, buy something that's super simple. Sorry, my dogs are they're going buck wild back here. They, they wouldn't not be in the room today. I closed it and they both like barged in. It's a, it's, it's a delicate thing where it's like, if your passion is to like drive the cars and like kind of like hang out and go hang out with your buddies and like the motivational side of it, then uh, starting with something that runs and is going to be able, you can tinker with in like smaller portions. I think you're a testament to that. Cause like your civic kind of did that for a long time. Like, right. You didn't go so, crazy with it until like you really got comfortable with what you were doing. And like you had a second car for the most part, like not always, but like that's, I think that's a big thing that like I would advise against because like, it's easy to get burnt out when it's way bigger. You don't see the light at the end of the tunnel and like you have a lot more going on. Um, that well, would be my at somebody getting into it. I, I, have a, I have a counter to that um, and kind of how I've done things um, in a, a comparison between uh, two different people that, well, one being myself and somebody I'm very close to. Um, I think it's important when you have a project car or a project or something that you want to do that's going to take a lengthy period of time always make it a priority always make it the end goal no matter what that you drive your car every year there hasn't been a th so every winter i take this thing apart and do something to it it feels like uh, that's when you know us minnesotans do a majority of our project uh is over the winter because you're mo more than likely not driving it unless it's your daily driver i make it a point every year that i drive this car in the summer there's not been a single year that I've owned this. Uh, there hasn't been a single year that I owned this and I didn't drive it. Now right. I have a very close friend of mine who I've spent a lot of time working with him on his car. He hasn't driven his car in three or four years. And yeah. we just recently got it running. It's had like three or four different, and probably only two or three different turbo setups and a whole bunch of other changes to it. It's another turbo civic. That's going to make a bunch of power one day. You're just not going to say his name, huh? It's Hector. It's Hector's car. All right. It's Hector, everybody. <laughs> Hector's car hasn't been driven in, yeah, probably three, three or four years. Or he didn't He's drive be it. He's a changed person when that car He drives. already is. No, he already is. We already drove it. I, we've got it running and I put a pretty sorry, base. I work in a dungeon every day without people. I, know I don't I know. know what changes, okay? Hector but, goes. Oh. oh. But so. Oh, it's me. <laughs> it's, you, it's your boy. So, you know. Hector didn't drive his car for, for so long. And it like, it made him sad. It, like he, he was a sad man because of it. He wanted to drive, but he was so burned out because it was so dragged along. And the day that we drove his car, the day that he drove it and did the first good rip in it. And it's not even like close, like the tune on it's pretty bare bones. It does a good, you know, single gear pull and it cruises around to get tacos halfway decent. It, it literally, like, I could just see the 
the happiness all rushing back to him. And I think that's, that's what you got to realize is if you set your goals too big, you're, you're going to get that. You're going to get lost almost in the sense of you, you're going to kind of be like, why do I even own this? It, it hasn't run in years. It's been collecting dust. Um, so yeah. it's, it's important to make sure that your goal at the, at the end of a project is that you're going to drive it again. If your goal is just to put a fancy part on it, it's really easy to get lost. You got to drive it. Dalen, you're the worst example of this because you never drive your Z. I love that car so much. It like comes out. It's drive always it. run. It runs and then you just never drive it. It makes me sad. Although I don't really, I've, I'm, I'm going to be honest though. I was going to say, you're kind of talking a lot of smack here. I, I am. Cars and sit in the back parking lot for a long time. This thing sits a lot. Board, borderline me having to tell you to take your car home type stuff here. So I don't know if you want to really talk. <laughs> I dry, I, I even washed it. I washed it. It's getting treated good. Um, but yeah, when it, it's important, it's important to always set the goal that you, that you drive it after, after a long-term project. I think that's always the light at the end of the tunnel. And for the people that are, you know, I, the stepping, there's stepping stones with this. You know, you start with working on your daily driver and then it probably more more than likely becomes you're not daily driver. Hector what, said, "What time you get home and you got to pull that thing out of the?" They're garage. both they're both home. They're both home. I think they're both watching too. They're on uh, the other, they're they're on the other side of the door. Yeah, I live in my parents. Hector, house. he gets like a week a month, dude. Yeah, right? I have the actually. The roommates lost. are fine with it right now. Yeah. So roommates. Um, also, I don't want to skate over the fact that yes, we do have a Hector with a Honda Civic that works with us. So. Um, and he is the money guy. Yeah. Too slow to get away. Um, <laughs> That's, I think, I think I've seen Hector hold some money at street races before. Which we Maybe. don't condone. We don't condone. Okay. Uh, at, at no prep. Uh, yeah. Don't, don't ride your bicycle backwards there, buddy. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just uh, tiptoeing backwards. Yeah. There's, there's levels to this stuff, man. Um, to put it to put it bluntly, start small, work your way towards the big goal. I think I think most people that get into cars, honestly, start with one and and uh, work their way to having something else. It just so happened to me that my daily driver turned into the project, and the daily driver turned into a daily driver. And then he bought another Honda Civic, and then another Honda Civic, and then almost bought another Honda Civic, and and then I bought a Subaru, and then I uh, sold the Subaru. I cleaned it out, and then I sold it. I think I, I I didn't lose anything out of that. That's the other thing. I'm I'm a bad testament to like being a car person. I've only owned in the span really? of six years. Yep, I've had this car the whole time. I owned my CRX for two years. It was an '89 CRX. It was blue and it had blue interior. It was gross. Well, the interior was gross as far as like I I, just, I don't like anything other than black interior. I don't even like. I think like the S2000 red is not not good. Um, a lot a lot of people just, really like that. You just really just just slamming the controversial topics here. I'm I'm a I'm a hot take. What what can I say? I don't know. I, I think it's, it's interesting cuz like you have only owned like that's been your one like fun car ever and like my brain can't even remotely too, comprehend it. Too that. sentimental. It really is that I can't like I could never part I can't part with this car as many times as I've been frustrated with with all the things that are wrong with it. Like it looks like hot garbage. It, it needs a paint job and body work so desperately. I just I can't I can't ever get myself. I could never give myself to get rid of it. I'm too attached to it. And even like the Subaru, that was like that car belonged to a, a friend of mine, and like kind of had sat for a while. And I was like, I really wanted a, it. Was a oh six 
Legacy GT. And I was like, oh, man, I really want an LGT for a daily driver, which is going to contradict my statement of me not liking Subarus. I like Legacies. I don't, I'm not a big Impreza guy, but they're fun. I just doesn't like – if I see one, I'm like, oh, it's an Impreza. If I see an LGT, I'm like, ooh, dang, look at you go. <laughs> And, like, even I had to get rid of that because I had nowhere to put it and no means of finishing it. That was a, kind of a dead dead project from the get-go. It was just an opportunity that I jumped on. See, that's the key right there is that was a project car that wasn't running, that was broken. It needed yeah, it was, all It was too much. Yeah. And motivation was lost very quickly. Buy somebody else's project car. I think that's good advice. Buy one's done. Yeah, buy somebody almost, else's done car. Or almost done. Like by someone who gave up on their ambitions just at the yeah. end of the <laughs> help somebody out just like finish that last buy it buy it already done already done that's where your money will be saved the most but when you buy somebody else's like already done car then you get like the whole slew of like what in the world did you do to this thing because that's how this kind of get that with a project car no well I think you should buy like a stock car I, let's not yeah. get that twisted like don't I think the difference between buying a project car. I think we got that wrong at the beginning. Like assuming that a project car is like a bare shell with no engine, I think buy something that makes sense for you to start modifying. So kind of, you know, you buy something that's maybe already got bolt-ons or something on it. Like a, you buy an Evo 10 that's got wheels and coilovers on it. Make that your, your project. If you're going to buy something, don't it's, it's hard if you don't already have the means to start completely fresh. If you buy somebody's bare shell, uh, you know, <clears throat> Dalen, <clears throat> You buy somebody's 240 shell, and then you're like, man, I have all these parts. I could do this. And then you just don't. I'm not a good example, though. I'm just, like, until recently, I've never had a vehicle that has ever been sentimental to my life. Like, cars, like, I like them. I enjoy them. I sell them. I create new. Like, I I I like the execution of the vision. Like, once the car is done, like the Z. Put a lot of work in. The vision's, for the most part, been executed. And, like, now it's fun to drive, but, like, it's just not as enticing to me anymore. Like, the whatever's next and new is exciting is the fun part yeah like the the thing is it's like i'm not a career mechanic i'm not like a career like i'm not i have the skills and abilities to do stuff so i have a vision in my head i execute it on whether that's helped with other people or all myself and once that's done like the kind of the fun is i have to take a break i have to stop for a little bit because like the fun is gone and then i drive it and it's fun again but like the driving sometimes to me is actually less fun than the process of like going through the project. And you got to make it worth something though. You're not always like, there's some things that you're going to do that like aren't rewarding just by doing them. The dash that I put in this car and like how I made the bezel and all that, that was super rewarding. I didn't have to drive the car to look at that and go, dang, this is sick. Like this looks cool. My buddy Aaron, he's got a real sick road course CRX thing that we've been working on. He put these uh, spherical trailing arm bushings in his car that make it so loud. That wasn't that was only cool once we drove it and was like, dang, this thing is stiff and handles really good. But like putting that in was like, at the end of it, it was like, okay, it's done. But once you drove it, it was like, okay. So it's a mix of both, I think. There's a there's a, some things that'll be really fun to install and you don't even have to drive to enjoy. And there'll be other things that's like, okay, well, this is done now. Now what? I put so the interior back in my car. That was exciting. Yeah, uh, that's that's always good because then you, it's enjoyable to drive. I think this car's most of my younger years ripping interior and AC out of cars, and I wish I could go back and just like hit myself. Like, how are you doing? That's a, that, yeah. I think I think all of us do things in our younger years that we regret now. I think uh, my biggest you are was, your younger years, Don't right? Even. But like, I still can look back to like three or four years ago and be like, dang, why did I 
Why did I plastic it? Because you didn't work here yet. Um, <laughs> you didn't have all these wonderful, wonderful role models above you. That's true. That's um, well, so, yeah. No, so I think that I mean again. Yeah, it's four o'clock. Yeah, I know. know. Bye, actually, pretty quick. But I know we, we have somebody uh, to come look at the floors here. Kyle, uh, Kyle talked a lot. Really I did. But well, you know, what you story to tell. I mean, again, I think that where a lot of us. I'm still new enough to still appreciate, you know, again, it hasn't hit me where this is a job necessarily yet. Um, but again, it's, it's nice to see again, that other people have that euphoric reaction to starting in this industry. And it's, uh, something that's always, you know, again, fun to start out turns into something that's again, more of a job, but it's still cool. And there's still really cool days. And, it's still definitely like, again, very rewarding at the end of the day. And I think that's something that everybody here can agree on. Um, it's going to have its ups and downs, but at the end of the day, it's still rewarding because at the end of the day, at least for, you know, all of us here are, are enthusiasts too. And, and it comes with, again, you know, being here that I think you, you appreciate what you do because you love what you do from the start. Right. It all, it all grew from an appreciation of, yeah. loving cars and and wanting to wanting to learn more i think that's a big part of half of it's you know the actual drive the thrill of driving right uh, the, the adrenaline rush you get going through a corner quick or going right. down the drag strip or launching your car for the first time and then the other half of it is just learning and and the social aspect of things and hanging out with your friends and getting to know people and getting to know people on the other side of the world even i mean yep. I can't tell you how many people that I've met that I've never seen in person, but just talk to online and become friends with because we all share the same interest. Cause it, it's a, it's just a great thing to be a part of really. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kyle, thanks again for, you know, making the time to, you know, kind of hang out with us today here instead of uh, just pretending like you're working from home, like you normally do. Wow. That's a heavy <laughs> call out. That is, the, that is heavy. Um, in front of the boss, even that's not very nice. That was kind of rude. Wow. That was. <laughs> I felt know? like it was okay to say it because you're right there. Um, <laughs> See, but like you didn't deny it. That's the part that has me concerned. Well, okay, really? No, I think no, I, over. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I think it's worse yeah, if I'm like, there. yeah. Yeah. Well, anyways, guys, thanks again for tuning in on uh, another live stream with us. Uh, you guys can catch us again next week. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, we have a very special guest next week, so you don't want to miss it. I'm not going to oh. say who it is yet. Um, but I don't even know who it is. I know it's you great. don't. I don't think Dalen knows either, but I'm hoping that he'll tune in with me next week again. So, um, anyways, guys, is it me? Am I the special guest? <laughs> yeah, I'm just really hoping that you'll tune in. For Am I just gonna like be surprised and like it's just two of me? <laughs> I'll just put another one of you on the screen. Yeah, I got another laptop. We can just put it over here, and it's just. Yeah, he said exactly. very special. I don't know. It, you're you've been on every almost every episode. I don't. You're kind of getting washed up a little bit. Oh boy, I missed at least two. All right, guys, we're gonna end it here for today before we continue to go on for the rest of your guys' afternoon. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, Minnesota we'll goodbye. Yeah, right. This is the definition of a Minnesota goodbye right here. Uh, but I'm gonna end it now for real. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Bye now. And there you have it, guys. Hopefully you learned something that you can either take with you into the garage or bring with you to the track. Tune in next week for another episode. We'll see you then. Is that good enough? Yeah. Okay.